Amen. You can have a seat this morning. Man, God is good, right? Yes. Okay, so before we jump into our message today, uh, just a quick uh, announcement. We are having what we call our Foundations class this coming weekend. It's October 23rd and 24th. It's a, it's a weekend intensive, and so we're fitting six sessions into two short times. And so uh, Foundations class is a great next step for, uh, for those of you who may be new to the chapel. You just want to learn who we are as a church, what we believe, our chapel values, our chapel beliefs, all of that stuff. But it's also maybe you're new to church. Maybe you, or maybe you haven't been here in years and you don't know what it's like to, or you want to know more about reading your Bible and praying and, and just different beliefs of what we believe in Scripture. And so this is just a great class for us to just kind of refresh and focus on the foundations of our beliefs and why we are here today. And so hopefully, if you've never taken this, uh, I would highly encourage it. It's such a great next step. It's also, if you are wanting to become a, an official member of the chapel. Now, if you attend here on a Sunday, you're part of our family, okay? So don't, don't, don't hear me wrong on this. But if you want to jump into and be a member of the chapel, this is the requirement is to go through our foundations class. And so if that's your next step, we would love to have you this weekend. It's going to be great. You'll get to hear from all the pastors. We're all teaching different sessions and so I, I promise that it will be uh, not boring, okay? And so hopefully you can get there. But today, we are, we are finishing our message series called Undaunted. And so for the last three weeks, we've been looking at different stories throughout Scripture that show just this courageous pursuit of God. If you missed any of those, those are all on the website. You can go listen to them. But I don't know about you, but as I sat through these last three messages, I keep thinking the question, am I undaunted in my spiritual life? You see, this message series has really caused me to just have tons of introspection on my spiritual life and just to really ask, when it comes to following and serving God, am I undaunted? Or do I allow my self-perceived limitations, the dangers, and the cost of following and serving God to prevent me from what God is asking me to do? And so we either are feeling like following and serving God is, is daunting. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel like, I don't know if I can quite do it. Why would God want me to do this? Or I'm not good enough. Or I don't have my act together. Why would he ever choose me? Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you are undaunted. You are courageously pursuing God. But for all of us, I hope that this message series has truly caused you to look deep within has truly caused you to look in your own spiritual life and ask the question, am I undaunted? Like Zacchaeus, are you undaunted? Or like Dorcas, or like Deborah, when it comes to following and serving God, do you just courageously pursue what he's asking you to do? So maybe you feel that way today. You see, through this introspection of being undaunted or not, I've really come to the idea of, how not worthy I am to serve God. 
When we think about this idea of serving how great our God is, who's perfect in power and purity, and he's created the entire world, and he's before, he's the, the alpha and the, the omega, the beginning and the end. How could this immense, amazing God want me, a bald little guy in Port Clinton, to do anything for him? It's really caused me to think about my life and say, you know what, I... It just seems very unlikely God would ever ask me to do something great for him. And maybe you feel that way as well. As you're looking deep within in your spiritual life, maybe you feel the same way. Who am I to serve our great and amazing God? But what I love about Scripture is that when you read Scripture and you go through the different stories, especially in the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we actually see that God uses many people who are very unlikely for the job, even when the job seems very undaunting in their life. And so let me just uh, refresh your memories a little bit about people who are very unlikely to serve God, who actually did go on to serve God. First, there's a man by the name of Joseph in Genesis. He was a slave. His brothers hated him wanted to kill him, instead sold him, made some money. He became a sl- went to jail, became a slave, and then he ended up in saving an entire nation from famine. That's pretty unlikely. What about Moses? He was a shepherd and also a murderer, someone who wanted to save his own people without God's help, and yet God chose him to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Going further, he asked David, who was a the last born, which is so counterculture. He was a shepherd boy, and yet God chose him to be the great king of Israel, who then goes on to write tons of the Psalms that we read. Or what about Esther? The story of Esther, who's a slave girl to save her people from a massacre for such a time as this is one of those greatest phrases. Or what about this? What about Mary, a peasant girl, a virgin, to be the mother of the Savior of the world? Talk about unlikely. And then you go further. Then there's Matthew, a tax collector, whom everybody hated. He He was friends with Zacchaeus, right? They were pals. And yet God, Jesus came to him and said, follow me, and used him to be an apostle. And then last, he asked Peter, a fisherman, who ends up denying Jesus three times to lead the early church and write part of the New Testament. You see, we, we run through those different stories because this shows that God truly chooses the unlikely to do great things for him. And that's exactly what we're trying to, to unpack today. God asked the most unlikely people to do great things for him, even if it seems daunting for us. He asked the unlikely people, and here's why. Because he wants to show off who he is and what he's capable of doing. You see, we've already seen throughout history, God has accomplished his will and continues to accomplish great things through unlikely people like we saw there, unlikely people like me, and unlikely people like you.
And so today we're going to focus on one unlikely guy, and that's actually found in the book of Judges. His name is Gideon. And so if you have your Bible, you can actually turn back to Judges. We were there last week as we talked about Deborah. And so we're going to be in Judges 6 and 7. And so in Judges 6 and 7, as you're turning there, just to give you a little context, at the end of chapter 5, we read this phrase, and, is, and the land had rest for 40 years. And so after Deborah and Barak come through and they judge Israel, remember, Israel goes through that cycle where they obey God and there's rest in the land, but then it always comes back to this disobedience. And then through Israel's disobedience, that leads to consequences. And so after 40 years of rest, they start disobeying God again, and then they run into more consequences in their lives. And so in chapter 6, we read about a tribe called Quest. No, just kidding. A tribe of people called the Midianites who were oppressing Israel. For seven years, they would destroy Israel's property and they would steal their food, which meant Israel was starving. After seven years of oppression, Israel finally cries out to God. My first question is, is I'm mostly likely crying out to God after one day of no meals, let alone seven years. Why did it take them seven years to cry out to God for help? Well, it shows how deep-rooted their disobedience truly was. It showed how great their pride was saying, God, we can do this on our own. We will get through it without you. How similar is that to our lives sometimes? How often do we do that to God saying, you know what, I can make it through, God. I'll call you when I need you. Very important to think about. And so after seven years, they finally cry out to God. And this is where we pick up this story in Judges 6, verse 11. Now, right before this, so it's interesting because this story, they cry out to God for help. And instead of sending an angel first, God actually sends a prophet to, to basically just blast them and say, hey, you guys are terrible, disobedient people. And then they don't repent. And so then the angel comes, and this is what happens. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And so I just want us to really picture this for a moment. So put yourself in a wine press right now, okay, mentally. Have you been in one? I have not. I don't really know what they look like, don't really know what they are, but I assume that's where you crush the grapes. It makes sense, logic. And so... Uh, because of the oppression from the Midianites, they have devised these plans to hide where they're doing their grain stuff, okay? I I've never threshed wheat either, so I'm, I'm not speaking from experience here today. And so Gideon is in this wine press, and he's threshing wheat, which people say to thresh wheat, you would throw it in the air, that the wind would blow the chaff off, and the grain would then fall back to the ground, and then you're left with your grain to make your breads and whatnot. How can you thresh wheat without wind in a wine press? That's a question I have in there. But this is where we find Gideon. 
He's in this wine press. He's tossing grain up in the air. He's probably thinking, where is God? Where is God? And yet, this is exactly where God meets him. Most likely at a pretty low point in his life. Pretty, a pretty disobedient low point, just wondering, God, are you even here? Do you care about us? And this is where the angel comes. And he comes to them, and he says these two words. He comes to Gideon, and he calls him a mighty hero. Now, I don't know about you, but when I picture a mighty hero in my mind, I never envision a man poking his head out of a wine press like a meerkat, okay? I never once is that my vision of a mighty hero. And I love what the, um, the ESV actually says. It says, it calls him a mighty man of valor. And so we got to ask, why does the angel say this to Gideon? Why does he approach Gideon and say, hey, mighty hero, you are going to be used by God? Well, in this moment, Gideon was the most unlikely of heroes, let alone a mighty hero. But what this shows us is that it doesn't matter who we are, but God calls the unlikely. It's just what he does. He calls people who are very unlikely to do amazing, extraordinary things for him and for his glory. And this is exactly what God is doing for Gideon in this moment. He's calling the unlikely. Even though he was a farmer, even though he was hiding out of fear from his enemy, God called him to do something amazing. So we've got to ask again, why does he call him a mighty hero? And this is very important to understand because he wasn't a mighty hero. So why does he call him a mighty hero? It's because he does not call him what he is. He calls, calls him what he will be. I want us to really think about this for a moment. Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. He's not a hero at this point. He hasn't done anything. And yet God shows up to him and says, mighty hero, because God knows exactly what he will be, not who he is in this moment. The story of Gideon shows us how God perfects his own strength through our weaknesses, our failures, and our faults. You see, God does not start with who we are or what we have done but rather, he starts with what he intends to make us. You see, when it comes to being undaunted in our lives, we are not rewarded courage for being undaunted. God doesn't say, hey, go do some awesome things for me, and then I'll give you what you need. It's the opposite. God gives us what we need so that we can be undaunted in our spiritual lives. And it even goes a little deeper than that for you and for me today. And we find that in Romans 5, 8. And you've probably heard this verse a ton in your life if you grew up in the midst of church. But Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. Aren't you glad today that God didn't see us for who we were, but yet he saw us for who we will be. 
the fact that we were still sinners, he chose to love us. The fact that we were still sinners, he chose to say and look at us, he says, you are mine. And with Gideon, the fact that he's a farmer in a wine press, God comes to him and says, you are a mighty hero. You are a mighty hero. You see, the enemy, Satan reminds us of who we are and what we have done. Doesn't he? How often, how many days do you wake up thinking about your faults and your failures and how terrible you are? Some days are better than others, right? Some days you may be thinking, man, I am just, I'm, I, I screw up every day. Or, or you're hearing these lies like you're not good enough or God couldn't use you, or who am I for anything, right? There are days where I, hopefully we all go through this. Hopefully you're honest with yourself that we all have these days of questioning of who we are. And, and let me tell you, so often that's the enemy just pouring those lies into our minds. So often that's the enemy saying, yep, that's exactly who you are, and you'll never be anymore. You'll never be a mighty hero. You'll never be someone who can do anything for God. You see, he wants us to understand that. He wants us to believe that, that you will never be good enough. And yet God reminds us of who we will be and what we will do. That's the beauty of our great, amazing God. The enemy reminds us of who we are and what we've done. But that's not where we sit if we have a relationship with Christ because we are so much more than that. And this is exactly what Gideon's experiencing. God wants to show him who he will be and what he will do. And so I love what happens next. He calls the unlikely, but what God does, he says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to call you, but I'm not just going to leave you out to dry. Instead, he gives assurance to the unlikely. He gives assurance to the unlikely. And so let's look at Judges 6, 14 through 16. It says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with strength, go with the strength you have. There's a typo in there and it throws me off. Sorry. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh. I am the least of my entire family. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Did you see Gideon's excuses in there? Oh, wait a minute, God. How, wait, you want me to save Israel from the Midianites? I'm not even the greatest in my family. My family is not even the greatest in your family. How on earth are you going to use me? How could I possibly pull this off? And God says, you can't. It's literally what he said. Notice in, there, in, that, in that phrase, in that verse, you never saw the, the Americanized version. God never sat down with Gideon and said, hey, buddy, you're such a good boy. You can do this. I know you can. He never once motivated them like that. He never once went to him and tried to build up Gideon's ego. Did you catch it in there? 
He gave him two assurances. He says, you're going to do this. And, and Gideon's like, I can't do this. And God says, but I'm sending you. He says, I am sending you. Now, if you know anything about the story of Moses, Moses is like, again, I can't do this. Who are you? And who am I going to tell Israel you are? And God says, I tell them, tell them I am. And here we have with Gideon, he says, I am sending you. The I am. How great is our God? The, the God of the universe is sending you. That's what matters. And then not only that is the God of the universe sending you, but also the God of the universe will be with you. Did you catch that in there? I am sending you, and I will be with you. That's all that matters. That's the assurance we need in this life to continue on, to understand that God can use the unlikely for his glory and for the sake of others. It should work, right? Gideon should say, yep, this is awesome, and go off to battle. Is that what it does? Is that what it does? No, it's not, okay? We can't look at the whole story. There's so much in Gideon. He deserves his own eight-week series. The question is, is does this assurance help? Does this assurance help Gideon? It does not because he has to continue asking for proof that he's actually God. And God miraculously is so patient with Gideon, and he continues to show him, yep, it's me. It's me. I am sending you. I'm going to be with you. It's me. And so finally Gideon figures it out and is like, okay, okay, I got it. Thank you, God. And so he goes off and he does what God asks, and he assembles an army to fight the Midianites. And so uh, just for some numbers, if for you numbers people out there, Gideon assembles an army, and he has 32,000 soldiers, warriors they're called. And so they have 32,000. That's a pretty good army, isn't it? Uh, but the Midianites have 135,000, okay? Not, not good odds, is it? So, so if I was Gideon, you're in this moment, and you're like, okay, you asked me to take down the Midianites, and yet severely outnumbered by 100,000 people. All right, I think we can do this. We can pull this off. And so maybe he thought God was going to do something awesome. And so let's read what happens. Sorry, I missed that one. Judges 7, 2, and 3. God's going to do something amazing. And the Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But God, you said you were going to use me to, to beat the Midianites. We were already outnumbered. How on earth are we going to beat the Midianites now? That's what I would be thinking if I was Gideon. I don't know about you. I would be questioning, like, God, I don't know. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And so maybe he's going to do something even greater at this point. Let's look what happens next. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And so Gideon brings them down to the spring. And, and the test is, is that the ones that drink with their hands are the ones that, um, and the ones who do not. And so the ones who drink with their hands get to stay. And the ones who don't drink with their hands don't get to stay. And so look what happens. 
I'm sorry, I totally lost my spot. There it is. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. And so God gives Gideon this assurance, like, hey, I am sending you. I will be with you. He, Gideon's like, okay. He gets this massive army, and God says, nope, too many. 22,000 people leave, and then he says, nope, you still have too many. And so then all the rest leave, and he's left with 300 men to fight 135,000 Midianites. Why does God do this? Why does God just whittle down this army for Gideon, even though he wants them to be saved from the Midianites? Well, it's simple, and you kind of already saw it, sneak peek, because God is glorified through the unlikely. Because God is glorified through the unlikely. Here's the deal. We are prideful sinners who love glory and recognition. Amen? All of us love glory and recognition. Just the other day, I, w- I did the dishes, okay? I did the dishes, and um, my wife will attest to this. A lot of times when I do the dishes, I always look at her like, huh, do you see this? Like, I want her to say something because I want the recognition. I want her to say, oh, my word, you're the best husband in the world. Thank you so much. What would I do without you? Really, she responds by saying, hey, good job. You should have done it last night too, Right? <laughs> You see, we all want that recognition. Maybe you're a little different, but we all like the glory in our lives. We all want that glory. We all want that recognition. That's the prideful spirit we have in our lives. That's that root of pride that we have. It's like, no, look at me. Look what I can do. And yet God uses the unlikely so that he can get the glory, so that he can get the glory. God knows that we are sinners and love the glory, and so he tells Gideon this, and we already, we already read this a little bit. You have too many warriors with you, and this is before he whittles it down at all. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. And so throughout this entire story, God kept saying, I will save you, I will save you. I will save you. And here he is, and he says, but if I let you fight with the men you got, Israel's going to say that you saved them. You see, God wants the glory from people like us who are glory stealers. God wants the glory, and so he says, listen, I'm going to whittle you down. You're going to just, it's, you're going to have to rely on me so that I can be glorified because if that doesn't happen, then you're going to get all the glory and the recognition. And so I love what happens after the story. I'm going to give you the spoiler. Uh, by the way, go read Judges 6 through 8. It's the entire story of Gideon. It's so much there. And so, spoiler, they end up fighting the Midianites. It's pretty cool. They don't even pull out a sword. Uh, the Midianites start uh, just uh, killing each other, which is really cool. And then um, they run off, and they end up winning. And at the end, in, in chapter 8, look what they say. Is the Israelites came to Gideon. After the, he won, they beat the Midianites. They're not going to be hungry anymore. He says, be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers, for you have 
for you have rescued us from Midian. Right there. Look at what Israel is thinking. Even with 300 people, they still are giving credit to Gideon. But I love Gideon's response. Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon saying, I didn't save you. The Lord did. He's your ruler. He's your savior, not me. He listened. God calls the unlikely. He calls people like you and me to do great things for him right where we are. And so how could you be the unlikely today? What great things is God calling you to do in your life? It may not be fighting in a massive battle like Gideon, but it may be fighting the battle at your work against the enemy. It may be fighting the battle in your home against the enemy. Whatever it may be, what is God calling you to do even if you feel like you aren't qualified for it? That's something only you can ask in your life. God calls the unlikely not for who they are, but for who they will be. God doesn't ma- it doesn't matter who you were in your life. Through Christ, you are transformed and you have been made new for God's glory. And let me tell you this, God is going to give you assurance along the way. Remember, the I am sends you. If God calls you, the I am is sending you, and also the I am is with you. Just like he said to Moses, just like he said to Joshua, and just like he's saying to Gideon, God is with you. Jesus actually tells the disciples that before he ascends into heaven. He says, for I will be with you always. And then the church began in Acts. It's amazing. God is with you. But ultimately, God is not doing it so that you can get the glory or me. So that God can get the glory. So that we can worship and glorify God in our lives. And so, as we close this message series up, you've got to ask the question, are you undaunted? Are you someone who's courageously pursuing God? Are you like Zacchaeus in your pursuit of Jesus? Are you like Dorcas in your serving? Are you like Deborah in your leadership? And are you like Gideon, stepping out of fear and into faith and following what God has called you to do? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself. Today and every day forward, as you go on your journey of faith. That's why it's all about moving one step closer. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of Gideon, this this story of just a, a courageous pursuit of you, even though he was someone who needed so much proof that it was truly you in his life. God, at the end of the day, he stepped out in faith, and he, he accomplished your purpose. You used him in his weakness for your glory, for the sake of others. God, I pray that we would embrace our unlikely status so that we can serve you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today. Before you leave, just remember, 
Next weekend, this is on your little card you got in, hopefully when you came in. Next weekend, our service times are changing. The 8.30 is going to now be a 9 a.m. service. Our 10 o'clock is just 10.15. So actually, for you guys, just keep showing up at 10. That way you'll be early, right? Um, and then at 11.30 is staying exactly the same. And so, again, this is just to alleviate, because this is our most popular service, is to alleviate the attendance at this service. And so if you can go to the 9 or the 11.30, uh, that'd be awesome. But thank you for being here today, and I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. We're going to dismiss from the back to the front.